Welcome, friends, to The Flower of the Cedar, a novel in episodic podcast form. We are about to start the next chapter. Come, join us. Chapter 27 The Gutting The ninth month of her training neared. Spring had again spilled out over the earth, and the sap quickened in the forest. Lara had taken to many areas of her studies, mastering at times the whip-like tones of command that opened secrets shut to her and beginning in unexpected flashes to seize on the seeing, the perception of things to come. But her brightest skill lay in the stilling, the practice of mergence with the life of her own body so that she might bring her blood to a slow flowing and the coolness through her limbs as she sat, submersed in deepest thought. And then... As the stilling descent became an accustomed act, she began to find in it depths to which she might not go undisturbed. When she sank below a certain level, she found her consciousness broken, invaded by memory. The call of stringed instruments, and the flavor of the god's brew on her tongue, the remembered pressure of the goddess's necklace on her breastbone, and its inscription, Dark am I, yet lovely, branded in the backs of her eyes. The elation of her body as she ate and drank of the driftwood feast, or the voice that spoke sister to her. The Lamia observed her unquiet countenance when she rose out of the stilling at these times, but she did not offer any explanation, and they never asked. Soon she learned how to descend only so far, and to cover over the passageways that would take her deeper, to the spaces within her in which the god might find her, the spaces of which she was not master, not yet. At last, the initiates of her year began to be called before the Lamia in preparation for their first guttings. The Lamia took them slowly, two or three at a time, and often with months between. Lara watched with mounting hunger as other initiates were set the work of butchery after the hunts, and then taken from the long houses and seen in the mornings no more. When would they call upon her? How much longer must she wait? Soon the day came when she was sent to take the carcasses from the hunters, each evening filled with the blood and smell of animal flesh, 
Lara's fingers grew slick and nimble with muscle, skin, and bone. She hated the work when first they put her to it. But she knew this hatred was the very reason for the work. She must, through repeated effort, push herself through the disgust, and each thrust would harden and temper her for the true gutting when it came. And so she twisted the necks of fowl, sliced the throats of deer brought wounded but living to the killing floors, and divided meat from bone for the stew-pots with eyes cool and hands sure. One of these evenings, Enna came upon her, slippery with blood at the end of her work, a bar of lye soap in her left hand. Enna watched her quietly for some moments before speaking, "'You need not,' she said, her voice strange and strident, whispered but urgent. "'None of it is needful.' Lara looked at her, confused and somehow wordlessly angry. "'Needful?' Anna little knew how very needful this was to her, how all her steps had been spurred by this need.' She turned from the young Lamia and worked a lather into her skin. I must, she said. In her seventeenth month, the Lamia May summoned her and two other initiates from their beds in the dark with the susurration of the other sleepers about them. May spoke no word to them, walking erect through the shrouded fall woodland. As they followed her, six other Lamia joined behind, walking in twain and silent. The procession left the longhouses far behind, beyond the fosterlings' structures, threaded through the Lamia's dwellings, and passed as a breath of wind into the gathered trees mounting the hillsides to the north of the wilder. Lara had never come this way before, and did not know toward what point they steered their course. There was no moon, and the stars flared as though casting their lives headlong to the void. Before them in the night a low building emerged, round-headed, slant-shouldered, set back into the side of the hill, its door an arch of stones with a single taper burning in a narrow alcove at its zenith. Lara's breath leapt within her. They approached the secret. She could sense its nearness. Soon she would be admitted into its mysteries. They entered at the door into a room bare of any adornment, an empty but for a smooth-topped stone sunk part way into the earthen floor. Each of the Lamia had touched an unlit taper to the burning one outside the door, and they brought these lights with them into the quiet room, setting them in hidden places along the walls, until the initiates could make out the length and breadth of the room, and one another's faces, alight with apprehension or wonder. In three days said May abruptly, facing the initiates, who stood flanked each by a pair of Lamia. You shall come by the same way to this place. 
and we shall put into your hand the blade of your first gutting. It shall be yours for all your life long. You will swear the oaths of the guttings, and take the curse upon you to never speak of the magic by which you here brought your hearts to life. The next time you enter by that arch, she said, raising a pale arm to the doorway out into the night, you will then leave it carrying in your breast your living hearts. So. And she turned her shoulders square to the listening young women and men, bared her breast, and brought both hands to the hollow of her throat. Beneath her fingers, a faint, slow pulse made itself visible. Lara strained to see. The skin briefly seemed lit by more than candlelight, but as quickly as it had come, it faded, and May let her hands fall and had begun speaking again. Yet now Lara could not attend to her words, for a great clamoring had begun within her. She hardly knew what words to put to this swelling of fear. In vain she sought for the stilling, but the fear suffused and whelmed her so entirely that she could not find the point of thought with which to attempt the descent. No, 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 her mind babbled. This cannot be the secret, this cannot be. Tell me this is not that for which I have striven. Tell me it is not. Tell me that more lies beyond the veil that yet I will see. She followed the other initiates and the Lamia dully out into the night once more. She remembered none of the walk back to the longhouses, nor of how long it took for her to finally find sleep again. In the morning she woke before the others, slipped from her bed, and went fasting into the trees. Would Enna be teaching this day, or would she find her at home? The hum of bees filled her ears, slow, in their final weeks of life before the winter slew them. And she soon saw among the hives the swathed, slighter form of Enna, alone. Lara's eyes closed momentarily in gratitude. She stood many paces from the hives and waited until she saw Enna's head turned in her direction, before cautiously lifting both her hands to call the Lamia's attention to herself. Anna saw her, set down the instruments for extraction she held, and made her way to Lara. She seemed unsurprised to see her, though it was the accustomed hour for the initiates to be at their studies, and the Lamia did not take kindly to the shirking of these. When Lara refused food or drink, Anna gestured for her to sit at the sturdy work table that stood along the outer wall of the Lamia's home. Its thick boards always held combs curing in sap, or jars waiting for filling, or other detritus of the honey-gathering trade. Lara drew up one of the low stools and sat, looking into the kindness of Enna's face. She felt loosening, a relaxing of her muscles beneath that benign gaze. The Lamia did not speak, but waited for Lara. They took me, 
Lara began haltingly. I know, said Anna. And May, said Lara, gathering courage. May showed us. Anna simply watched her, waiting. Lara's eyes burned, and she felt that the whole of her face must be pouring forth her anguish unworded. Anna, she said, hearing but not caring to quell the anger which hid her fear. Anna, is that all? Is that all the guttings will buy me? She saw in the young woman's countenance that she understood the import of the question. Anna let her gaze fall to her hands, thinking, I came to bring my hearts to life by any but the God's way, said Lara, wanting suddenly to seize Anna by her garments and shake her. Tell me that is not all. At last, Anna raised her head. Lara did not know what name to put to the expression in the Lamia's eyes. It was the poor reward that woke your fear? asked Anna. She sounded, Lara realized with surprise, disappointed. She set this aside, impatient. Tell me it is because I do not know the inside of it yet. Tell me it is one thing to look upon Alamia's hearts from without, but another to feel them within my own breast. Even as she spoke the words, Lara's hopes spiralled judderingly aloft once more, grasping, clinging to the promise in this vision that yet another inner sanctum remained where she might find what she sought. There flamed still a chance of respite from the gish of the god open to her. She would pay any price to be admitted thence. They bring me to the gutting in three days' time, she said. Anna was watching her face, as though considering something that had no name Lara knew. Will you do it? she asked. I, I must, Lara said again. The silence with which Anna greeted this assertion was long. If you must, she said at last, then you will. She turned away. The initiates approaching the gutting were taken from the long houses and from their studies and placed apart in a whitewashed, single-roomed cottage for the days leading up to the ritual. They were given only water to drink and told to spend the time stilled. They might exchange no speech with one another, nor walk beyond sight of the cottage for those three days. Lara did not leave her pallet night and day, seated in her customary posture with her legs folded beneath her body and her palms pressing the earth before her, dwelling in the known levels of the stilling, flinching away from the pull of the deeper depths. She felt such a pitch of terror that it began to resemble peace. For if this gutting did not offer what she wanted, what else remained 
to stand between her and the god. At last the final day dawned, waned, and fled into twilight. Lara rose, stiff and weak from her long fast, and walked with the other two initiates in complete silence, back through the paths of the wilder and into the bosom of the hills. The ritual house came into view, but no candle lit its entrance this night. The three initiates approached. With a burst of unease, Lara saw May's form standing beside the arch. May wore a silver robe, and her face, uncovered, regarded each of them in turn. She lifted an open hand to them in warning, and they halted, unsure. Then she spoke the name of one of the other girls. The girl went to her, and the two disappeared into the mouth of the ritual house. No sound or movement came. Lara and the other initiate stood waiting, their bodies beginning to tremble with the strain of the passing time. When May, after what felt ages, emerged again, she took the second initiate, a young man, with her, and left Lara standing alone. There was no sign of the first initiate. Somewhere in the distant forest, the hooting of an owl pierced the quiet. Lara thought of its doomed prey, pinioned, and she shuddered. She had lost the stilling now, but she would not betray this when May came for her. She must, she must, she must be allowed to gut. And finally, May's familiar, withdrawn face came from the shadowed archway. Lara breathed in once, deeply, and went to her, passing the arch stones, letting her own face fall into lines of impenetrability. The silence surrounding them gave way to a distant, thrumming rhythm, but she could see no one but May beside her, nor anywhere in sight. Even so, the drums beat on. Within the room a single candle guttered. She noted somehow in the midst of her scrabbling fear that the two other initiates lay on the floor to the left of the entrance, their chests rising and falling together in sleep, and that terrifyingly faint luminescence hinted at in the skin of their breastbones. Their mouths were stained dark. The beat she had begun hearing outside had grown stronger, and yet she still could see no one else. May took Lara's hand and brought her to stand beside the stone in the center of the room. She spoke over her the words of the curse that would bind Lara's blood to the secret of the ritual, and then she gave instruction to Lara for the magic the girl must do upon the gutting. With her own hands she passed the magic to Lara, who received it barely where, as though she acted in a dream. Then, the craft done, May slipped away, leaving by some second hidden opening. Lara stood as though spelled so. 
Before many minutes had passed, May returned, leading another figure by the hand. Even in the weak light, Lara recognized him at once. Her attacker. The young man who had kidnapped the Lamia girl. He had grown thinner, and his body had lost its fleetness of movement. He held May's hand submissively, as a child might, and his hands and feet were unbound, his stricken eyes open. She heard the words as though May had spoken aloud her thought, It is not only minds we may press to give of themselves unwilling. When May had brought him to the opposite side of the stone, she let his hand fall, and he stood, staring at it, speaking no word. From within the draping of her robe, the Lamia drew out a long, curving knife, a single beautiful swoop of sharp steel, and laid it on the stone before Lara. Then May returned to the young man's side, and with a hand laid as the lightest of suggestions on his shoulder, brought him to his knees, with his body bent over the breadth of the stone. She touched his chin with two slight fingers, and his head fell back, baring the neck. Lara saw the beat of the frightened pulse there. She could not look in his eyes. Her hand found the cold hilts. The stilling had broken utterly. In her ears, wildly, in apropos of nothing, the music of Dane and Jan's voices sounded, as she remembered it, in that simple gathering with Toman and Nisaranen. Toran's kindness welled in his eyes as he looked on her, and the goddess's pendant, like a brand, scorched her breast. I am not hers, she shouted, set her left hand on the young man's jaw and pressed his face away from her sight, drew in a deliberate, strong stroke the blade, across his jugular. He uttered no sound as he died, denied, perhaps, even that final right. May, with quiet grace, held a goblet to the blood that flowed over Lara's hands and down the side of the stone, and then she gave it to Lara, Put your heart seeds in the blood, speak the words, and drink, she said. Lara felt panicked, only two, but she palmed these, that May might not count their number, and, hoping desperately, let them fall, as she pronounced aloud the words of the spell, before tipping the goblet's contents into her mouth. The warmth gagged her. She forced it down. Trembling seized her where she stood, for the blood woke in her a three days' hunger, and soon she could stand no longer, but fell to her knees beside the young man's abandoned body. 
She bent her head, willing a rush of life into herself. The music had gone, and the burning, but she could sense nothing approach to take its place. She stared at the young man's hand, fallen open just beneath her bent head, following the line of his arm to his neck where no pulse beat more. He looked so young in death, a grown child, his ferocity drained away with his blood. He had hair shorn ragged about his ears as though he had done the work himself and clumsily. His eyelids lay as limply open as his hand. She hated the way they did that. Why wouldn't he close them? But no, no, she reminded herself. He couldn't do that anymore. She would have to do it for him. May was speaking, but she could not pay attention. Someone needed to end that trouble with his eyes, or he would see her. He would know. She extended her hand. Its shadow flitted over the hollows of his jaw and cheek, and momentarily her gaze lingered, taking in, as though at her leisure, a mark just below his ear obscured partially by the fringe of his hair. Instead of lowering his lids, she brushed aside the hair. She knew that mark. Jan had that mark. An odd mark from birth, she had said, shared with her father, shared with her littlest sister, shared, too, with... Jan had that mark. Jen had that mark. Lara knew, then, the one she had killed. The Flower of the Cedar is written, produced, and published by me, Kay Ben-Avraham. This content is made possible by the support of my patrons on Patreon. We make monthly pledges they can increase, decrease, or cancel at any time. If you are enjoying listening, please consider supporting my work on Patreon. Even a dollar a month makes a great difference to a struggling author. For those of you wishing to support this work in non-monetary fashion, you can tell a friend about the podcast or... Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help ratings rise so that other people can find it. Thank you so much. <laughs>